0: Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. We are starting fresh for 2019, and we're talking about how you choose the right recruiting partner for the new year. Today's quote, destiny is no matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. It's not a thing to be waited for. It is a thing to be achieved. Any idea who said that, Mr. Joe Mullins? I'd be lying if I said that. Do tell. It's William Jennings Bryan. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Our mission is to provide tactical solutions to solve your toughest hiring challenges. We share insights from top-performing entrepreneurs and industry experts like our guest today, Joe Mullins. He's the president and CEO of the Mullins Group. He is a uh, serial entrepreneur, founder of TMG, which is the Mullins Group, the world's leading executive talent acquisition firm in the medical device industry. They specialize in cultural transformations for emerging technology startups. And Joe is an innovator. You see him all over LinkedIn, at least I do. And uh, a thought leader. He's been featured on uh, CNBC and The Wall Street Journal. Joe's philosophy is to build, inspire, and teach. Joe, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Rick, for having me on board. We appreciate it.
0: Yeah, we're starting out the new year right. I got another uh, like-minded person, and we can can get people on the straight and narrow for 2019. What do you think? Let's
1: get them kicked off the right way.
0: All right, perfect. So today we're going to cover... First, how to reflect on your internal process. We're going to walk you through expectations, and then we're going to provide you some tools to evaluate the right partner for you. Let's start with uh, the internal process, Joe. I'll let you dive right in there.
1: Sure. Um, so, if we're talking about an internal process when it comes to an organization, there's there's a number of moving parts in there. It starts with really the position description, and then works into the interview process, and obviously how we manage that process, and then disengage from that process. But one of the things that I think is the start to either a good process or a bad process is the old position description. Sure. What we always attack with our clients is um, most position descriptions, and everybody is going to nod their head here. Is cut, paste, change the title a little bit, and make sure that everybody can lift fifty pounds is on there. <laughs> uh, and, and 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 that is a good document, but it shouldn't be the document you're working off of. Every organization is hiring people to solve problems. And we always give guidance to our client that makes for a more robust interview and sort of process in turning up talent is, tell me the problem you're trying to solve. Tell me why you're trying to solve it. And then tell me who the person who will become that you plan on hiring that is solving it. And give me that problem today, six months from now, 12 months from now, 24 months from now, project it out. That is how you end up attracting people who are truly problem-solvers. They gravitate towards that versus a BS in marketing, 10 years experience, uh, consumer product experience. Which
0: is what I call a wish list. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so identify the problem, why that problem exists, and why somebody may want to solve it, and ultimately who they will become because every individual is going to worry about their resume four years from now when they leave you.
0: You know, I feel like taking it a step back, you really need to know your values, your company values first before you kind of really dive into that job description as well. you got to know who you are.
1: I I, I think so. I I think you're getting into then identifying uh, who works well here and who doesn't work well here. Um, And that falls outside of skills. But that's or- that's
0: usually why people are either let go or end up quitting roles, is because they don't have the soft skills necessary or the or the core values that match the company's values. So if you look for people who are going to stick, you got to have some sort of alignment there.
1: I would say so, and I'm not going to. I- I'm not going to believe that organizations do that extraordinarily well. A lot of organizations will tell you what they do, but they won't tell you why you do it. So I always say, don't tell me the surgical robot that you're making. Tell me about the souls who are going to be sitting around the dinner table tonight because of your surgical robot. And that's driving you to do it because we don't get motivated by stuff really deep down. We get motivated by the whys. So I think it's really important that Culture isn't defined as foosball tables and free lunches and bean bags. Those are easy to replicate, and they go away really quick.
0: No, those are I perks. Believe.
1: Yeah. And culture is, why do you do what you do?
0: Yeah, it's mission-driven. It's something that, that somebody buys into. At an emotional level, as opposed to just a monetary level.
1: Yes, it, it is, and it's really hard to get 150 people's mission aligned um, outside classic control limits. But what you have to do is certainly identify and verbalize and share your mission and, and, and behave appropriately to mission. Um, and you just have to make sure that the person who's joining your team understands what your mission is and what their goals are are fulfilled through the journey to the mission. And again, that's the that's softer side. and I think it's super important. Yeah, I just believe that people also misrepresent that they're a mission-driven company in order to check that box. And then when you get in, they're not walking their talk. So I'm really careful on just tossing out, yeah, we're mission-driven. Yeah, this is our mission to attract the right people. Nobody says we don't have a mission.
0: No, but having a mission and living the mission are two totally different things. So I, I agree with you 100%. Right. There's a lot of companies that have a mission, they have words up on a wall, but they just don't live it, yep. and probably the Absolutely. majority of them. All right, so what's um, what are the main hiring challenges that I think we have to identify in this internal process?
1: The main hiring challenges I see in the market today are that you're not putting a message out in the marketplace that speaks to what you're doing, again, why you're doing it and the type of people who work in your organization because everybody's busy and they got their head down and they're working. And the people that you really want to hire for the most part are happily employed in another organization. They just have not identified or been made aware that you have an opening or even that you're even in their backyard.
0: It's funny. I was thinking that um, in reference to, let me rephrase that because it should be in reference to choosing a recruiting partner, right? Because so, what are the challenges that we're seeing from companies? Too many, too many recruiters that they're working for. The relationship isn't really a partnership; it's more of a transactional thing. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Look for an industry expert. Obviously, first of all, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. And the way you evaluate that is what is their footprint out in the marketplace? What sort of body of work have they done? Um, Put fees aside for a second. You know, recruiters are only expensive if they're not good um, because they're actually leaving your job opening open because they're not filling it. Um, And then make sure you partner with a search firm. They're not a competitor. Uh, Make sure that you get them to sign an NDA, pull them in, make them come into your organization send them all the slide decks. The better they can message for you, the better they can attract better people for you because they're bringing a better message to the marketplace.
0: They should immerse themselves in your culture. They should know the nuances of your company because that's what translates through to the recruiting call,
1: to everything. If if, if you've got a headhunter on the other end of the phone and they are not asking you for your latest slide deck, um, your last board meeting, again, sign an NDA, your last board meeting, and they're not asking you about what problem you're trying to solve with this position. And then they're not, at a minimum, at a minimum having numerous calls with the stakeholders in the hiring process. If not getting out there and visiting you, then they're probably not worth the thirty to forty thousand dollars you're about to send them.
0: Especially if it's a, a contingency recruiting firm. I mean, you know, they're going to charge you a high fee. And there's going to be a really minimal amount of work. It's just going to be a spray and pray routine.
1: A majority of them, unfortunately, that's the truth. Yeah. And, and in
0: this market, it works. Yes. It work <laughs> it's it's a model that works, and I don't think you or I condone them. But the fact of the matter is, is it's it is what it is. So we're really talking about diligence here, right? Do your diligence, on who you're going to partner with.
1: hmm And and again, one last thing is. After you have the phone call with the individual, ask them to send you back a document on what they think they heard and what they think the position's about and what is the methodology and the messaging they're going to use in the marketplace in order to get people to lean in to at least listen to your opportunity. That's really important is to make sure that you get full disclosure that they're representing your company in the market extraordinarily well. A lot of times people read a job description and they don't give enough of a sort of motivation to get people to lean in and say, okay, I tell you what, I may look at it. I might jump on the phone or I might get in the car and do an interview. So I, I would do that as a, as a close before I wrote my engagement check um, or even allowed somebody to run that search exclusively for me.
0: I love the term lean in that you use. Hey, if you're just joining us on the live stream or the podcast, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm Rick Gerard, your host. And today we're talking to Joe Mullins, the president and CEO of the Mullins Group. So managing those expectations of what you want your recruiter to be doing, it's the company's responsibility and the, and the recruiter's responsibility to both be managing those expectations properly to make sure there is a match.
1: Absolutely, there you know it goes both ways. The hiring manager uh, a lot too many times, and we even experience it in, after our seven thousand searches in our industry. Did you get ghosted, you get ghosted <laughs> yeah. by uh, the hiring manager. They say, Yep, this is an important search. I'll be available, I'll get back to you in twenty four hours of feedback. You can bet. Um, I was just chasing down a CEO of a multi billion dollar a year organization right before I got on, and he told me two weeks ago, You get me the paper, I'll get it back to you in twenty four hours. I haven't heard from him in a week. You know, he's gonna be one of those clients we end up firing. Yep. Because and we do that often enough. We send back The engagement money and say, thanks, but no thanks. We're just way too busy to waste our time. And I'm not saying that to be a tough guy. I'm saying that because I respect individuals. We call them individuals in the market, not candidates. We respect the individuals too much to get them to get on the phone with us, disclose personal information, send a resume, and wait. And then I don't have control over my hiring manager. That's when you should absolutely fire a client.
0: You're protecting that experience for them, which is important because it protects the company's brand, And by all means, you should fire companies that that don't value that as well.
1: Look, I'm a firm believer. I'm one of the few headhunters that believe, and we came out a couple years ago, clients are a dime a dozen. When you can-
0: They are right now.
1: Individuals in the marketplace with respect, that spreads like wildfire. And then when the individuals start to follow you and your firm by the thousands and 10,000s, the clients come to you and they have to come to you. But when you work for a client that abuses individuals in the market, you as a headhunter lose your credibility and gravitas. And so if more headhunters would respect the individuals in the marketplace and fire clients who don't play ball respectfully with individuals the world would be a better place.
0: That is so true. The fact of the matter is, is that you want to align people with people anyway that are going to be respectful of other people and going to be easy to work with. There's no, just, like you said, human. there's too much business it's out
1: there. Human. It's really being human. Yeah. Right. A lot of us will compromise our business relationships for a check. And that's not a sustainable model. It may work quarterly. It may even work annually. But year over year, To me, in our firm, the most important people are the people who did not get the offer. Because out of 150 calls, one person gets the offer. The other 149 are still engaged out in the marketplace. The person you just placed is not accessible again for another couple of years. But those relationships that you formed and treated with respect on behalf of a client who acted respectfully are more important than the person you placed. But everybody indexes on the person you place because that's where you cash the check.
0: On the flip side, if you're a company, how are you going to evaluate the recruiters?
1: So, first of all, I would say you want to see the body of work that they've done most recently. How many searches in my domain or market have you done in the last three, six, twelve months? Give me um, the titles. Don't give me the companies and give me the region of the country that you've done the search in. You can always ask for references. That's great. Uh, I would tell clients to ask for references on candidates that they placed. I want to talk to the last three candidates you placed. I want to see how that experience was. I don't know how many companies actually do candidate referrals. They always do company referrals. And a headhunter will never give you a bad referral. So, <laughs> right? But a candidate, a candidate, it's a different experience. Yeah. And that's what I want to know. How, how did you handle that candidate on behalf of that client? Were they prepped? Were they debriefed? Did you take them through negotiations? Did you think them through counteroffer?
0: Well, really, what you're talking about is the value here for a company comes down to the process. We're selling the process and how we work, right? You want to choose based on what is congruent to what your company is and what's going to get you cross the finish line in the quickest, most efficient manner.
1: Yes, you're correct. Here's the challenge, though. Most companies index exclusively towards other companies that have used their service. They forget that the other part of that experience is a customer, i.e. the individual you place. And I'm wondering, again, out in internet land, how many organizations (laughs) have actually done a reference call in the last three candidates you place? That would be curious, wouldn't
0: it? I don't think anybody does. So I'm going to take that from you and (laughs) use it. I think it's a phenomenal way to look at it. Flip the script. Let's talk about the process. We deal with a lot of early-stage startups. And one of the things that I find is there's a lot of education piece that comes into you know, it's not, it's much more critical for you to find the right hire for a small company that's 10, 30 people, as opposed to 150 to, you know, a thousand person company. You can make more mistakes at that point. When I loop back around to your core company values and that sort of thing, I think that's the perspective that I usually am looking at. And so those hires tend to be a lot more critical.
1: Yeah. And those, those hires tend to come down to some interesting other characteristics. So while we always want domain knowledge right if we're talking about and you point you make a great point there if we're talking about an emerging tech or an emerging rapidly growing company one of the things that's most important that you we want to look for and we give guidance to our clients is what is that person's agility and what is that person's default behavior when something goes sideways.
0: And what's their stamina?
1: Endurance. Uh, People like to use the word stamina. I like to use the word endurance. And again, emotional, physical, spiritual endurance are all areas to explore on individuals as you interview them. And and you can do that uh, a number of ways. And I know we've only got a certain amount of time here, but I would totally explore that agility and endurance in the person. And what is their default mechanism after they get punched in the mouth?
0: Going back to the process, preparation. Mm-hmm. Put an emphasis on how candidates are prepared for your interview and how you prepare the company for an interview. Mm-hmm. That's often so, overlooked. You know, hey, here's yeah. a setting up the interview, scheduling the time is not preparation. And you need somebody mm-hmm. at an early stage, you need somebody who's going to properly position both ends of the spectrum.
1: Correct. And, and that's why earlier in the session, I said, I want a slide deck. I want yep. to know what problem is you're trying to solve, I want as much company information as possible. Why? Because think about the dynamic that's occurring here. When you're hiring somebody, you're basically, in most cases, doing one telephone interview and probably two face-to-face interviews. And in aggregate, you've probably spent maybe five or six hours on that individual. Yet, both parties are making a pretty substantial bet on each other. So if, as a recruiter or a company... I can properly prepare both the company for what the individual is looking for and the individual for what they're looking for. I make that interview process now bypass all the silly read-through-your-resume, and you sit on the other side of the desk. But we can get directly down to business on the salient points. I have some clients who say, well, Joe, prepping them for the role isn't that cheating. And I'd rather catch them by surprise with a question, I'm like, I'm not sure who that's serving because they can't cheat. They are who they are. They're not going to learn overnight your accounting system or your software coding. They either have it or they don't have it. But what you want to do is have as high a level interview as possible in that short of time in respect to everybody's value, meaning time.
0: Well, the interview is not a game it's more of an audition. If you go in for an audition and you're reading for a role, they give you the script first. So it's not cheating at all.
1: No. And quite honestly, in our firm, and our process is incredibly severe to work here, we take the approach of, are we right for you? And all we want to learn about are what your liabilities are. Where most people will interview and index towards where is the individual strong? And that's great. Strength is great. But if that strength comes with a terminal behavior that is you know, caustic in your organization, or a default behavior under pressure, I don't care what their assets are, that liability can cripple an organization. So that guidance I would give to a lot of companies is everybody looks for strengths, and those are cool, but what you want to identify is, when it goes sideways, What is that person's default
0: mechanism? So you're talking about the candidate or the company's liability? The
1: The company's liability. So if I am counseling my client, I want to give them as much information about my candidate. And if I'm prepping the candidate, I want to give the candidate as much information about my client on what we're going up against, what we're facing, and what we're going to um, talk about specifically on our 45-minute or one-hour session. I don't want it meandering. I want a point And then what I can do is once I know that point, I can reverse engineer out to find out what the liabilities are emotionally and spiritually and intellectually with that person.
0: Yeah, and I like to dig in a little bit deeper, too, and connect the dots for the person. So if somebody shared with me, a candidate shared with me what their pain points are in their current career, and my opportunity can help heal that pain, of course, as a recruiter or even the company, it's their job to make sure that you connect the dots for them, they understand when they get into the interview, that you're not there to be adversarial, you're there to help them advance their career.
1: Absolutely, and, and I temper that though, and, and what I want to make sure of, and everybody here listening can think about a relationship, let's just make sure we're not over-indexing against what we're running from, when really we should just slightly move to the left. Um, any relationship you've left, you've usually over-indexed towards a relationship, towards a behavior that's way too far to the left. And so I make sure I explore that because what happens then, if you oversteer, then you've got to come back the other way, which means that you might not be as happy once you get into the 60th day there because you were running so hard from something that didn't feel good.
0: What do you mean by over-indexing behavior far to the left? What does that mean to you?
1: So Here's a story for you. I had a gentleman, um, vice president of marketing. I uh, was in two startups. Both startups went out of business, right? They ran out of money. One of them ran out of funding. The other one didn't get FDA approval. Okay. called me up. He said, listen, I've done the startup thing. I've always loved the startup thing, but you know, I can't take this instability anymore. I need the stability. I said, Fred, I've known you for 20 years. Sure. Well, look, but I want a big company. We put him in a Fortune 50 company. <laughs> After about two weeks in that company, he wanted to set himself on fire, and he was looking <laughs> again. So he over-indexed towards stability because, yep. right?
0: And stability I mean. is an illusion; it doesn't exist.
1: No, no, no. Stability is stability is a definition that we give ourselves based on the scenario that we're in. Um, yeah, I think you create. I
0: mean. Yeah, you create your own stability. It's An illusion. And one thing that companies really need to keep in mind is there's a lot of emphasis put on comp these days. And when you have a candidate or a person who's interviewing your company. Their comp goes up when their interest level goes down.
1: That's right. You got it. Right? That's right. There's a direct relationship. It's a seesaw. So if just visualize a seesaw. As the interest goes down, comp goes up on the other side. Yeah. As the interest goes up... Look, I I play... I do really well in my life. I would play for Barcelona for a dollar a year. <laughs>
0: um,
1: play ball. Right? Sweet. <laughs> but if you... If you asked me to shovel horse manure every day for the next four years, you'd have to pay me 3x what I I, uh, get paid right now. And so that's an extreme example, but that goes on all the time.
0: Man, we're just about out of time for today's show. Joe, thanks again for your time investment today, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Community. Now I'm sure that uh, we have some of our listeners there who would love to engage you or talk to you or find out more about you. How do they reach you?
1: It's uh, Joe Mullings on LinkedIn. Uh, just reach out to me there. I'm on all the other platforms, but I'm on LinkedIn at scale. On Instagram, it's also Joe Mullings, and on Twitter it's also Joe Mullings. And my group is the Mullingsgroup dot com.
0: And spell that out for me if you could. Sure.
1: M-U-L-L-I-N-G-S G-R-O-U-P dot com.
0: So it's straightforward. All right, I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode. Man, we're looking forward to a great year. A quick thanks to our team, our engineer, Paul Roberts, our creative director, Aila Gerard, and our producers, Andrea Ballin and Shanti Ryle. If you're listening to the podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, we need your feedback to uh, continue to bring excellent contact to you. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at higher, that's H-I-R-E, power, P-O-W-E-R, radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. And you can find us on all the various podcast platforms. You can also follow me on Instagram at Gerard one or Twitter at rick underscore gerard. Tune in next week. We have another great show for you. Our guest is going to be Craig Weber. Craig is the founder of Weber Consulting Group. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power with Rick Gerard on OC Talk Radio.